Today, this last Sunday here in January, we have the privilege to hear from our senior pastor, David Mitchell. But what makes this particular Sunday different than other Sundays we've heard from him is that today is his last Sunday preaching to us as the senior pastor here at Calvary Church. Although, as Dave would say, I'm not the senior pastor. I'm the assistant to the senior pastor, who is Jesus Christ. And so, haven't we been blessed by the humility faithfulness, and excellent teaching of David Mitchell. Hasn't this been an incredible 22 years? (laughs) It's my privilege to introduce to us our senior pastor in a kind of a fun way. Here's David Mitchell. so much. All right. You're very gracious. Magnanimous. Thank you, Matt Doan. That was very gracious of you as well. Appreciate it. Some of you are getting out the registration card now and uh, thinking of some things you'd like to write to Eric Wakeling, the next senior pastor. So I'm just going to refer them all to him and let him enjoy the moment. One of the reasons I did this is not just to be sort of gimmicky and, uh, you know, uh, tweak people or try to be avant-garde or different, because I would like for you to remember this day for more than the fact that, as Matt introduced me, it's my last day as senior pastor. I want you to remember it for what Mark has written in his text. So I'm using this as an illustration every bit as Jesus would use boats and fish and fishermen and fishing nets and healings and exorcisms of demons and all kinds of miracles of supplying food and, and uh, fish to thousands of people. It became a way to attract to a greater message beyond just the physical that's going on there. And also, it's interesting, if you're a Harley owner, you're often a member of what is called HOG. HOG means Harley Owners Group. Let me show you some of the things that the Harley Owner Group says about their membership. It's a community, and what they claim, it's building this effort for riding. It's all about riding the motorcycle. It's a riders have a shared commitment to the experience. Members who are HOG members promote a lifestyle around the bike. Members build longer-lasting and stronger relationships. This is part of their literature. This is how they sell you on becoming a HOG member. They also say that members spend 30% more on their bikes. Because every time you go to some place, you find, oh, I need that, I need that. And you say, oh, you have that on? Where did you get that? And how can I buy it? And so forth and so on. Members are led by volunteers. And members, this is one of the things they say, members should invite others by sharing the enjoyment of riding. This is Harley-Davidson. This is about a piece of steel, plastic, and rubber. That's all that it is. But it's in the shape of a motorcycle. 
I thought to myself, wouldn't it be fascinating if hog stood for house of God? <laughs> Matt Davis actually thought of that, and some people think it's cheesy. So if he thinks it's cheesy, tell Matt Davis. <laughs> Take those same ideas. A church is a community building effort around Jesus, right? Church members have a shared commitment to Jesus. Members promote a lifestyle around Jesus. Members build longer-lasting and stronger relationships. Church members spend 30% more for Jesus Christ, right? You, right there. If they'll spend 30% more on a piece of steel, then how about a living Savior, right? Members are led by volunteers. We are so thankful for many volunteers here. And members should invite others by sharing the enjoyment of Jesus. That is the core. This morning I want to talk about following Jesus. And I've got a lot I want to say about it. But I want you to understand two basic things that you could take home with you today. Follow Jesus by knowing about His kingdom. Follow Jesus by making others know about His kingdom. If you don't remember anything else, because i got a lot I want to elaborate on, a lot of detail, some stories, but remember that following Jesus so that you know what His kingdom is all about and follow Jesus so that you can help others to know about what His kingdom is all about. Jesus began His ministry in really around the Jerusalem area, but then He went up to Galilee, which is in the northern part, and there He gathered together a group of fishermen and began to engage with them. And this is the first thing that Jesus then talks about in Matthew 1, 14 and 15, and it is that as followers we need to know the good news. Jesus calls it good news. It's actually the word for gospel of the kingdom of God. In Matthew 1, 14 and 15, here are the verses, and we'll look at the Scriptures in the book in just a moment. But now after John had been taken into custody, that would be John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee. So he'd been already in Jerusalem, Judea, a southern part. He goes on up. He'd already met Simon and Peter and some of the people that were, uh, I mean, Andrew as well. So he goes up to the north in the Sea of Galilee area. He's preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he's beginning to explain to them what the kingdom is because then he wants them to engage with others about that same kingdom. So the kingdom of God is the key word. Let me just talk a little bit about the kingdom of God. And then I will talk about repentance then I'm going to talk about believing. Then I'm going to show what we should do in light of what that fact is. Kingdom of God. Jesus offers two kingdoms. He offers a future earthly kingdom. He's also going to offer us right now a spiritual kingdom. Let me talk a little bit about the future earthly kingdom. Here is my handy-dandy little chart. You'll need this if you're not saved because then you can know what's going to happen next. All right. We are living here. After this, the Scriptures talk a lot. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, the great tribulation is going to come. So Jesus is the one. Jesus' very last message, Jesus' very last sermon, the big sermons, not the little talks in the synagogue, but the big sermon on the mount, His big sermon to the people was prophetic. He's talking prophecy. So one of the last things Jesus preached about was the great tribulation in Matthew chapter 24. And Revelation 6 through 18 tells us about that tribulational period. As a matter of fact, on Wednesday night starting this fall, I will take you through that 
passage, if you'd like to know more about it. Well, after the church has been here, we will go up into heaven, then we will be with Jesus Christ, and then Jesus is going to come back in Revelation 19 to a second coming, and then He's going to set up an earthly kingdom. It's going to be right here on earth. Jesus will be the king of the world. Everybody will come to Jerusalem to worship Him there, and in the kingdom that He's going to establish on earth, we won't need doctors. Dr. Anzaldi, I'm sorry. We won't need you anymore. Because we will go to Jesus and we will eat of the leaves of the tree like the Garden of Eden and they will bring healing to our bodies. People, if they don't live to be a hundred, it's thought to be a shame because they haven't lived long enough. We will continue to live. And in this earthly kingdom, we will never, no longer be struggling with things like uh, global warming and cleaning the earth and equality rights. And we won't have to worry about abortion and some of these terrible things that happen to the innocent unborn. Because Jesus is going to establish this perfect kingdom where you and I who are believers will serve with Him. The disciples will reign with Him. King David will be on the throne with Him. And it will be a perfect society. Jesus came offering that. When Jesus says, the time is at hand. The kingdom of God has come. He's offering them this kingdom that now is delayed, but they rejected it. Matthew 13, He turns to parables and says, okay, The kingdom is retracted. Now I'm into a new kingdom. And the new kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. He offers this kingdom. He says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he says to get into the new kingdom, the spiritual kingdom, you need to repent and believe. It's important that we understand what repentance is. But notice the nature of this kingdom. Jesus answered and said to the the Herod at the time, My kingdom is not of this world. It's different. I'm offering something very different than this world offers in kingdom life. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. You see these things on the back of cars, not of this world. That's where Jesus is speaking to that, that we live in a little different society. It's a dramatically different society. We have values and principles that are so contrary. And God wants us to enter into that kingdom that's very different. It's not physical. It's not people fighting. It's not war. It's not guns. It's simply the opposite of what we naturally want to do. It's a spiritual kingdom. The spiritual kingdom is entered into by Jesus said in John 3 at the very beginning of his ministry, Truly I say to you that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So people who are never born again by believing in Jesus as their Savior do not enter into the kingdom of God. They're not part of the kingdom. This is a very unique group of people that have trusted in Christ and they've entered that spiritual kingdom. And you have to go to the spiritual kingdom to get into the earthly kingdom where there's perfection. You can't get to the earthly kingdom without entering the spiritual kingdom. So here are the key elements. We enter in through repentance and belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me talk a little bit about repentance. Repentance is this Greek word, and uh, if you know the Greek alphabet, you can see that, metanoia, but it's metanoia in the English alphabet, and it's made up of two words, meta, which means to change, sometimes after. It also means, nous is the mind, to change the mind. So that I'm thinking this, that I could selfishly do this terrible sinful thing, but then I repent and I no longer want to do that selfish, terrible thing. I now do this righteous, holy thing. It's changing. There's a great illustration of that in the book of Acts where the apostle Paul was ministering. And he says to uh, Herod Agrippa, 
who was the king at the time. Here he is before the king of the earth there in those communities. He says, we are to open the eyes so they may turn from darkness. This is our struggle. We want to open their eyes. The problem of the kingdom of Satan is that the people in the kingdom of Satan can't open their eyes to the kingdom of God. They're blinded to it. Second Corinthians chapter 4 tells us that Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they won't see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our challenge is to pray, God, Holy Spirit, come and open their eyes so they can turn in a repentant way from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan. See, there's two powers in the spiritual world. Satan is the father of lies, Jesus said. Then God the Father is the God of the truth. So Satan lies, he deceives, he corrupts what we think, and he blinds our eyes so that we don't see that we are in darkness. We, don't re- we can't see the darkness because we are in the darkness. But once we become followers of Jesus Christ, we move from the dominion of Satan to God's dominion, that spiritual kingdom, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. There's a lot there, but let me move on. He also continues to say this, So King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision where God saved him dramatically by the light that came from heaven. And he says, But kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also to Jerusalem and then throughout all the regions of Judea. And this is what he said. This is the key of repentance. And even to the Gentiles that they should repent, same word, metanoia, and turn to God. See, that's the whole idea of turning. Repentance is, I used to do this. I no longer do it because now I follow Jesus. Performing deeds appropriate to repentance. If a person is repentant, then their behavior changes. You don't repent and then continue to do it. That's not repentance. That's feeling sorry for yourself, but it's not repentance. And you can't get to the spiritual kingdom without repentance. I was reminded, my motorcycle spoke to me yesterday. I was cleaning it so it could look real shiny because it tends to get a lot of dust and dirt. And I cleaned it in the garage, turned on the fluorescent, you know those garage fluorescent lights that are so terrible, and they have that terrible buzz. And so I cleaned it according to that light, and I said, you know, maybe I need to double-check it. So I backed it out of the garage and into the driveway, and then the sunlight hit it. And here you probably know where I'm going. When the sunlight shined on that thing, I suddenly saw all kinds of crooks and crevices and and little places where there's all kinds of dirt. And I'd missed a whole bunch of areas where there was just dirt. I thought, you know, Lord, that's how sometimes my heart can be. That when I'm in this sort of this darkened world, there are areas of my life that need to be cleaned up. But it's not until the light of Christ, the light of Scripture, begins to shine light into some of those dark places that I finally say, yes, Lord, there's more for me to repent over. Now, my goal is not to make all of us feel shamed, but my goal is to make sure that those who say they're followers of Jesus by entering that spiritual kingdom have truly repented to the point where they are truly sinless because of his forgiveness to them. Because we have had a world full of sinful pastors and sinful believers who continue to tarnish the name of Jesus because there's no turning from a sinful lifestyle. You can't say that I've repented if you still persist in the sin that you say you repented of. 
And so therefore what Paul is exhorting us is that we need to repent but prove that I've repented by performing deeds appropriate to repentance. And that means cleaning up my life to live the holy life that God's called me into, that Jesus died for. And then believe in the gospel. So to enter the spiritual kingdom, you need to repent. And then the other side of that coin is you need to believe. You move from the negative repentance where God forgives, and then you move to the positive of believing in what Jesus has done and the gospel message defined as clearly as any place in the Scriptures in 1 Corinthians 15 that you can read on your own. But here are the three points that Paul makes. The gospel of Scripture is that Jesus died to pay for my sins. And then he says he was buried to prove that he died and that he rose again on the third day to a new life so that I can rise again the day I die into the kingdom of heaven, ultimately to come back with him to the kingdom on earth. See, that's the way it works. So you can't get to heaven. You can't say you're a follower of Jesus until you've repented of sin and believed this, and then your behavior begins to change. I like to call it sort of the great transfer. Colossians 1, 13, 14 is wonderful. Paul writes, for Jesus, he, Jesus, rescued us from the domain of darkness, and people wander in darkness, and that's why you point out things that are wrong and they just don't care. You highlight things that we think are just just tragedies. And even like as, as uh, Dr. and Matt were talking about abortion, and you try to convince people that precious life. And yet there are those in organizations like Planned Parenthood that persist on promoting something. You think, how do they do that when you can see the evidence of life? Because there's those that live in this domain of darkness. And I say that with all due respect to those who think differently. But there is this domain of darkness, and you can't see darkness when you're in darkness. And so what God wants to do is to transfer us, to transfer. He wants to transfer us to this kingdom of His beloved Son, a beloved Son, not a judgmental Son, not a harsh Son, not a condemning Son, but a Son that loves us and invites us into His world in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, where suddenly the light of Christ shines in us and we see the areas that need to be cleansed out. And Jesus says, Dave, let me do it for you because you can't do it on your own. So he begins, he gets out the big spiritual rag and begins to clean off the filth of my life because he says, I want you part of my spiritual kingdom to live in the light of Christ, not in the darkness of Satan. So Jesus is coming and he says, the time is at hand. The time is fulfilled. I've come to offer you the kingdom of God. Repentance and belief in the gospel enter in. That's the message we need to know. It's offensive to some people. Some things I just said are offensive to people. But the gospel is offensive. I shouldn't be offensive, but the gospel is offensive. Paul said that. But we need to know that. And then once we know that, here's the second half of the message. As a follower of Jesus, we need to make it known. We need to tell people about it. We need to express the good news. Let them know the light of Christ in the darkened world so that they can come to know Jesus the way we know Jesus and follow Him and repent and do deeds that are appropriate to the quality of their repentance. And then he goes on to say this. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 1, the remaining portion of this passage. And as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, that would be Jesus up in the northern part of the nation of Israel, he saw Simon and Andrew, 
the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. So he goes there and he sees these guys throwing this net, and this is how they would fish in those days. They cast out that big net and see, hopefully capture together a whole bunch of fish and then begin to drag that fish into the land. And this is what Jesus was looking at as Simon and Andrew out there casting their nets. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you, you will become fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets, immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, just for clarity's sake, in John 1, they'd actually met Jesus previously down in the Jerusalem area. So this was not like the first time. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, see two sets of brothers here, who were also in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. It's entered through repentance and belief in Jesus. And he says, now I want to gather together a bunch of people that will help me make that known. And there's three things that he says about that. There is a person that we need to follow. Follow Jesus only. He says, follow me. That's why I never say follow Dave. Don't follow me. You will be disappointed. Some of you are disappointed that I rode a motorcycle in here. You will be disappointed. I get it. Let me just say, last time I did this, I did this about 10, 7, 11 years ago, rode my motorcycle in here. It was on a Father's Day, and I preached on Noah, a rebel with a cause. That's what it was, a cause for righteousness. And one of you wrote a wonderful little letter, and I don't remember who it is, and I don't know if you're still here, but she self-identified in that little letter. I am a little old lady, she said. And I want to let you know I was aghast when you rode that motorcycle into church. So shocked. In the sanctuary of all places. Something like that. And then I heard the message that Noah was a rebel with a cause. And then I saw you ask men to stand up on that Father's Day to say, I want to be a rebel with a cause for righteousness. And when I saw those men stand, I realized, yes, this was good. This is a good thing to do. So I want to let you know that sometimes things that you think are bad are not that bad. (laughs) And so I know that I will do things that make you say, I'm not sure I can follow him. That's okay. Because I don't want you to follow me. I want you to follow Jesus, who is perfect. And Jesus sometimes actually ruffled the feathers of the Pharisees. Just saying. (laughs) Jesus, in 1 Peter 5, 4, don't take that the wrong way. Jesus and First Peter, Peter, you know, one of the first people called. First Peter, Peter wrote, Jesus is the chief shepherd. That's why, as Matt said, I like for us to remain committed to the true shepherd. The word shepherd here is the word for pastor in Ephesians 4. That word shepherd is only translated to pastor in Ephesians 4. Every other time it's shepherd. So it's the same word, pastor, shepherd, same Greek word. So he says Jesus is the chief pastor, if you might say. And so my encouragement to you is to always make Jesus the chief pastor here at Calvary Church. Today, my business card will change. It's already been sent to the printers, so we can't back out now, right? (laughs) But I want to encourage you that next Sunday we have an installation service where Eric will become the new assistant to the chief pastor. And I pray 
for Eric's great success, phenomenal success. And as he leads us, we need to continue to pray for him, to uphold him, to support him, to unite behind him, because he is here representing us to the chief shepherd. Now, we're all, in a, may, in a way, let me get it right, we're all assistants to the chief shepherd. We're all assistants to him. But this is a unique role that God's placing him into. And I pray for it and will support him, and I invite you into that as well. Because the more he succeeds, the more we all succeed. Because we're in this together. We're all part of the team. Now, let me give you an illustration of someone who sort of gets this right. Some of you are Minnesota Vikings fans, maybe one or two, I don't know. But I was so intrigued when the Minnesota Vikings played the uh, New Orleans Saints. There's 10 seconds left in the game. New Orleans Saints are up. up. They're winning. They're going to win the game. It's fourth down. It's the last play of the game. Case Keenan, the quarterback, he gets and he free, free, heaves the ball to his receiver who's running down the field. His receiver catches the ball. There's like eight seconds left in the game. And the only way they can, if they tackle him right there, the New Orleans Saints win the game. He catches the ball. The defensive quarterback runs up to tackle the guy. He misses him. And the receiver runs into the end zone. And with eight seconds left, they win the game. Just, it was the most amazing play I've ever seen in football. Well, then they interviewed Case Keenum afterwards. I want you to hear his story. That final snap. First of all, congratulations. The game of your life, the throw of your life. And uh, tell me about the last play, desperation time to dig for the win. Yeah, man, I mean, it's, <laughs> I can't even explain it, man. I mean, we were definitely in desperation mode. Just had to give my guy a chance, and Diggs made a heck of a play. Made a lot of plays today. Uh, you got to give our guys credit, man. We fought to the very end. And uh, that's special, man. That's, that's one of the most special, special times of my life. You had to be thinking just maybe a, a, a penalty to give me a, a chance at a field goal here at that situation, right? I mean, you were down to your last out. Yeah, we missed a few there early. We know you needed a chunk. And then uh, we try to get into field goal range. But, uh, I mean, with last play, I mean, I, I don't even know what just happened, man. It's crazy. Craziest game you ever been in. This place is going crazy. And it's a special mark, not only Viking NFL history. Yeah, I mean, about this moment, what this moment's meant to me, it's, it's probably going to go down as the third best moment of my life behind Jesus, giving my life to Jesus Christ, marrying my wife, and uh, and this one's right there close. All, all great moments. Well, thank you very much. We'll see you in Philadelphia next you. Sunday. All right? The third most important moment of his life. Did you hear that? On national TV live, first moment was when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Second moment when I married my wife. Third moment, winning that game. See, pointing back to Christ. We are those people who are here to help people follow Jesus Christ. That's one of the things Jesus goes into. He says, the purpose for following Jesus is to help other people know and follow Jesus. That is what I am here to do. Notice this uh, statement from Jesus is, I will make you. It's training. The word make in the Greek there, the word make actually means to spend time in a place. Sometimes that same word is used for spending the night in a certain location. 
And so Jesus says, this is not something that you'll have instantaneous growth in. It's something that we train you in. That's why we are offering the Alpha Course. That's why we're offering these Bible studies. We offer life groups. We offer uh, mentoring opportunities. Because this is something that you are made into to be a true follower of Jesus and to help other people know about Jesus. It's not just some sort of automatic thing. It can be. But normally, it is something that you have to spend time with Jesus, the Bible, other believers, mentoring so that I can be made into a disciple and allow others to become followers of Jesus. I want you to become a fisher of men. So remember, they're standing there by the Sea of Galilee. It's all about the, the analogy of the moment around them. Whether it's a motorcycle or it's a fishing net, Jesus loves to use dramatic illustrations to help make the point that spiritually speaking, we are here for one reason, that's to help others become fishers of men or motorcycles following Jesus riders, something like that. I want to show you another great example. It comes from our own church family, Matthew Slater. And God bless Jackie and Annie and David Slater because they've done a great job. Matthew Slater... He's going to his uh, fourth Super Bowl next Sunday. And then next Sunday, the Patriots will win their sixth (laughs) Super Bowl championship. It's just amazing. I don't like to, you know, be a spoiler alert. That's coming up. But notice Matthew on the field after the game. He's a captain. He's a spiritual leader on that team. Other players look up to him. He's been there for 10 years. Just an incredible story. Over here with a little cross, the darkened stuff, and there they are in the prayer time, Matthew praying and leading them in prayer. About a year ago, Matthew gave an interview, and this is what he said. My purpose in the NFL is to bring God glory and make his name more famous. It's really been fun to see how he's opened doors and allowed certain conversations of faith to come up over the years in ways I never could have imagined. I know wins and losses will fade away, motorcycles will fade away, but when you put your faith in Christ and stay rooted in Him, it will have an eternal impact. Keeping that perspective helps me prioritize. That's the key. Prioritize my life and my thoughts. I compete and I work hard to help my team win, but I know the victory has already been won on Calvary, and that's all that really matters to me. He's nailed it. It's what Jesus was talking about. Whether you're fishing out of a boat or whatever your occupation happens to be, you're a doctor, you're a nurse, you're a landscape expert, you mow lawns, you pick up garbage, you're a plumber, you're an engineer, it doesn't matter that whatever I do in this earth that helps me to earn a living, all of those things, as Matthew said, it helps me to point people to Jesus. I know what the kingdom is. I want you to know who the kingdom leader is. I want you to be a follower of Jesus. So everything that I do is a platform to reaching others. You don't have to be an all-pro NFL player to point people to Jesus. It doesn't matter your occupation. Even if you're retired, you still point people to Jesus. I had a funeral the other day. I was talking to a young woman. I won't use her name because she didn't, I didn't ask for permission, but I'll tell the story. And after the reception, it was on Friday, she says, you know, I just got a new job. And she's one who's done short-term missions with us here at Calvary. And that missionary work just didn't continue on. She said, I just got a full-time job. 
started like two months ago. So how's it been? It's tough. Boy, the language, the people, the things they talk about, it's kind of a darkness. I said, it's great. Because the darker it is, the brighter the light of Christ will shine in you. She said, yeah, this is my new mission field, she said. This is where God has me to make a difference in those people's lives. See, that's the mindset we need to have. You don't have to be a fisherman to catch men or women. It's whatever your job is. It's to make Christ known. That what it means to be a follower of Him, that I need to serve, though, in my own unique way. I was intrigued by these four men that he had here. And I went through their lives, looked at their life's journey. Peter was the bulldog. He was the type A. He was always stepping in it somewhere. I'll never betray you, Jesus. I will die for you. And Jesus, are we going to betray me three times before the, before the, cooster, uh, the, cooster, the rooster crows? And he did. But he had boldness. So that in Acts chapter 2, Peter became the leader of the church. And Jesus knew that. He knew. He knows we're going to make mistakes. We're going to have blunders here and there. But he says, Peter, I want you to be the leader in Acts 2. Peter preached one of the greatest sermons that's ever preached. And thousands were saved. Then not all of us are preachers like Peter. Not all of us are bulldogs. Some of us are like Andrew. Andrew, the thing that Andrew would do, Peter's brother, he's the connector. He's the inviter. You see Andrew three times in Scripture, and all three times Andrew's connecting someone to Jesus. He's not the preacher. He's not the outgoing, gregarious guy, but he has this quiet little intimate relationship with people that invites people to, let me introduce you to Jesus and let Jesus do all the heavy lifting. You may be the connector, the inviter person. Then there's James. You may be the martyr. It's hard to be a martyr if you're still living, but James was the first of all the 12 disciples He was the first disciple to be martyred in Acts chapter 12. There are dear saints that we love who have lost their life because of their commitment to Jesus Christ. And history, history is painted with many lives who have given everything for the cause of Jesus Christ. And then there's John. Every time John is referenced in his gospel, the gospel of John, he's referenced as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he writes about love in 1 John 1. He writes a lot about love. So we're all different, and God says, good, because I want you to serve in your own unique way. I want you to know what the kingdom of God is, and through repentance and belief in the gospel, you enter it, and then I want you to take that kingdom truth, and I want you to help others to become followers of that truth. I want you to go about doing that. And the priority of their reaching out, the person was Jesus Christ. The purpose is to make it known, and the priority is to do it now and often. They follow, the followers of those four guys followed immediately. Mark loves the word immediately. He uses it twice in this little section right now. And that they would, anything that would keep them from Jesus, they left behind. Notice that in one verse, they left their nets. In the next verse, John and James left their father, a hired servant in the boat. They left their nets, they left their father. And here is for me the conviction that don't let anything, whether it's a motorcycle, a car, a job, or it's money, whatever it is, don't let anything hold me back from following Jesus. Some of us need to leave some things behind. We're too occupied with things that aren't allowing me to help others know Jesus. Sometimes they're relationships that are crippling me. They're, 
there's an influence of immorality that's being influenced on me by certain people. I need to leave that behind so that I can help others be followers of Jesus. So the question is, what things or people are holding you or me back from inviting others to know and believe the gospel of God's kingdom? And that's where we want the Spirit of God to touch our hearts, to know, God, is there anything I'm doing or any relationship I have that's inhibiting my capacity to know the kingdom of God and make that kingdom know so others can be followers of Jesus? I invite you into it. There is nothing more important than that. There's a lot of important issues out there. A lot of campaigns, a lot of struggles and things we should be all over and praying about. But everything comes back to this. This is the core. Without this, all those other things mean nothing. That he invites us into that. And no matter who we are, what we're all about as a church in the future years, if we forget the kingdom of God and making others know about that kingdom to follow Jesus, then we've lost it. That's the core. And God invites you and me into that. Let me pray for us. We're going to receive our offering. And all our gifts go to helping make that kingdom known so that others can be followers of Jesus as well. Father, help us now as we bow before you. We thank you for your word. We're thankful for the truth that you have given to us. God, thank you for Jesus Christ and that he just has that simple message. Here's what my kingdom is, and I want you to tell others about it. Father, help us to be like Andrew, Simon, James, and John and become those that are inviting others to follow Jesus. Father, help us to be aware of anything that's holding us back. The fishing net, the relationships with certain people, those things and those people that maybe are holding me back from the very best that you have for me. God, help us with that so that we could help others to know Jesus and others can follow Jesus and that they can reach new people who also need Jesus. So thank you for this offering. Thank you for the gifts of so many gracious people that we can partner together in ministry. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.